Hey guys, this is our first guest episode featuring my real estate mentor, Deb Cleveland. So excited to share with you everything that she has to offer, a wealth of knowledge, not just in real estate, but in all things life. And it might seem like a kind of a weird subject to have on the family brand podcast. I mean, it's real estate investing, but I think that you will be really surprised whether you're into real estate, whether you're not. Deb has a beautiful way of looking at life and helping you create a vision for what you want your life to be and helping you chase your dreams. Oh, and be sure and check out the show notes where you'll find every way you can connect with Deb. And she even has a free course she's offering to all of our listeners. So don't miss that. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Family Brand Podcast. My name is Chris. I'm a husband, a father, and an entrepreneur. My name's Melissa and I am a wife, mother, former nurse turned real estate investor. And we believe the greatest gift you can give your child is a last name that stands for something. Your last name is your family's brand. If you are a parent who wants to raise your child to know who they are, love who they are, and believe in who they are, this show is for you. We promise to bring you real and authentic conversations with parents and experts who are committed to making their family their life's most important work. This show will help you take a stand for your family and to raise your children by design, not default. Welcome back to the Family Brand Podcast. This week, I'm so excited. This is our first guest interview, and today I have with me the lovely Deb Cleveland. Hi, Deb. Thank you for being here this week. Hi, Melissa. Thanks so much for inviting me. And oh my goodness, I'm the first one. It's really special. Thank you. <laughs> Deb reached out to me a couple weeks ago and said, hey, I think that I could add a lot of value to your listeners. And you all know I've talked about Deb in prior episodes. So Deb is my real estate mentor. That's how um, she and I originally met. Um, Chris actually connected us. He knew Deb. And I've just learned so much from her. And she is so much to offer, not even, not just in real estate, but in all as- aspects of life. I love that about Deb, how she is a student of life and bettering yourself as a person. And I'm excited that you all get to hear from Deb about all those things. So let me just hit, Deb has a little bio. I'm going to do like the little bio and then we'll just jump right into the content. Sounds great. Okay. So Deb is passionate about sharing the knowledge and tools that she uses with her clients so they can experience the same success she has, which is she, well, she originally started as an entrepreneur and then you can tell us more about that in a little bit, Deb, but then she went on to own real estate when she realized that was the best way to invest her hard earned money. She went on to build an empire consisting of 127 rental units and flipping over 400 homes over the past 25 plus years. She now mentors and teaches clients to do the same. She teaches and believes in conscious, responsible real estate investing where everyone wins. The residents are provided with beautifully renovated, well-maintained homes. The investor makes high returns as well as long-term savings. This way of investing has a significant impact on the communities Deb and her clients invest in. So that's Deb in a nutshell. And I'm sure those numbers, I don't know when you wrote that bio, but I'm sure those numbers are even bigger now. You've They are bigger. I'm just... I'm a fixing and flipping machine. So I think we're up to almost 500 flips about now. So yeah, they have increased. That is amazing. Okay. So I would love to hear, maybe just touch on, on that beginning piece, like how you, cause you said you got started in entrepreneurship. Maybe give us a little background about how you got into real estate. Yes. And it's, it's interesting. I wrote about it in my book, but what it's, what happened to me is I started making money. It was a journey. And I thought, I finally started having some savings. And I was like, oh my God, I've got money. But then I really realized it was like an epiphany. It was one of these moments. I love those moments in life where I really could see that I wasn't building wealth. I was making money, which is such a, there's such a big difference. So they went on a quest and I talked to financial advisors. I've talked to bankers. I talked to anyone that would listen to me and have a conversation with me about what's the best way to invest my hard-earned money. And none of them, none of the traditional ways that they talked about CDs and SEP IRAs and 401ks, but nobody talked about real estate investing. And then I had another epiphany. And what I realized is that my friends that were entrepreneurs or came from entrepreneurial families, they all owned real estate. And there wasn't, I mean, this is 31 years ago. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't a lot out there as far as um, there was Carlton Sheets infomercials. It was about all there was. 
Um, but I found a couple of really great books. One of them that I recommend for people to read as a starter is called The, um, the Weekend Millionaire. But once I once I really studied real estate and I could see that I'm not, you know, I'm not afraid of hard work and I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty. You know, I single parented my son and I grew a small business from scratch out of my spare bedroom into a two million dollar business. So I, I love working. So real estate was a really good ma uh, match for me. And I was an art major in high school. I, mean, I don't have I'm not college educated, but I was an art major. So they were like big art projects for me. And what I could see is I could buy them at 50 cents on the dollar. And with 20 cents on the dollar, I could improve them. And then I would have that sweat equity sitting there. And then I was also making return on my investment every month. And I was building long-term wealth by having the tenants pay down my mortgages. And I thought, what better way to become a millionaire? And that really was my question. My goal was I set out to be a millionaire. I love that. That's a big, and that's a big, a big goal. How, how old were you when you were all researching all this and figuring this out? Well, Melissa, it really like fell out of the sky because that's not like even in my language, like a millionaire is kind of like, I, I was embarrassed to even say it out loud, but it was always in my head. Like if I was going to play a game in life and I was going to put 40 hours of my time at stake because every moment counted being a single parent, I wanted the biggest return I could have on my investment. And I thought, why not play the, the game as big as possible in life and become a millionaire? And I figured it out. I just wrote it down on paper, like how many real, how many rentals would I have to buy for how long would I have to own them in order to be sitting on a million dollars at the end of, it was actually at the end of 18 years. So the plan was to acquire everything within, the, within a three year period, buy them 50 cents on the dollar, build a million dollars with equity that then would appreciate to $1.5 million over that 15 year span. And then I would be sitting with a five figure income coming in every month and $1.5 million worth of real estate, which I totally lived into. And I retired financially free at the age of 48, which is another whole story. <laughs> <laughs> because that was how many years ago is that now? Oh my goodness. Um, you're gonna, they're going to know my age. you. That was 12 years ago. And literally, it was probably one of the worst ideas I had. It sounded like a great idea. But because I love doing things, um, it wasn't a good fit for me. I mean, I, I took yoga, I took spiritual, you know, quest, I did all sorts of things. I learned how to, to salsa dance. And I thought, Oh, my God, girl, go back to work. Will you already like I'm talking to myself. So I, I promised myself I would do just one because I kind of have an eight personality and doing one ended up having me turn a whole city around over a love help turn a city around after the um, the crash, which was a, about a 10 year quest. That's amazing. And I love how you, yeah, you thought you would retire, but then. Just oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I love my and that, that besides families, um, consciously and responsibly building wealth, you know, for their retirement. The other call out I have is to retired women is that, you know, they're sitting with all kinds of money, all kinds of time. And, you know, if they have an affinity and like doing do, DIY, do it yourself projects at home, I always say that wrong, DIY, DIY. <laughs> but why not just do a fixer and flipper? No, why not just do a fixer upper? Like get out back in your communities because really that's what, that's what lit me up again was just being out, working with people, having fun, making a difference and money too. So I love, I love what you just said about, about women. I know you have a passion to work with, with women. Um, tell me more about, because I think that's where I found you a couple of years ago is I was mostly a stay at home mom, which I was loving, but I was feeling like, okay, I can, I'm ready for maybe a little bit more right now. And I, th I think you're right. Just my DIY um, tendencies and just wanting to improve our, like seeing a vision for, you know, our future, my family's future and wanting to have a part in creating that, I think is kind of what led me to want to do real estate. So I love how you speak, you speak to that specifically about, about women and, and that vision. I would love to hear more just taking this question about vision a little bit further, I would love to hear more about having a vision yes. because I know that's a huge thing for you is having a vision, whether that's specifically real estate vision or just a vision overall for what you want to create 
for yourself in the future. I'd love to hear you speak to that. So I was fortunate enough when I was um, in my late 20s to have discovered Deepak Chopra. And one of the things I learned from him was the importance of having a vision and having a vision that doesn't exist. It's something basically you make up. And we really do make up our lives every day. We don't think we do because we get into this habitual way of living, but we really do make it up. So if we're gonna make it up, like what does it look like? And what I love that he taught me was that you always keep one eye you know, in the future and one eye in the present moment. So you don't lose either one of them because if you're too focused on the future, you can really lose yourself. You can lose your contact, you know, your connection with your family, your husband, um, your health. But if you don't keep one eye on the future, then you're just going to go from day to day to day. And what I love about creating something that lives out in the future is that it's not linear. You know, I thought that I, it was like the straight path from where I was to where I was going to. And when you're out there really playing the game of life, whether it's like I started a small business from scratch, I was a single parent with no money, no education. And I set a goal of building a million dollar business. And within five years, I built a $2 million business because I just kept one foot in front of the other. I put together a plan. It was really clear about my vision. And what I found, Melissa, is with, with vision is that it creates velocity. You know, it really creates this momentum. And when you have those days where it's like, God, I don't want to do this today. You know, it's very similar to parenting. You know, it's like, oh, my God, do I really have to be a mom today again? Like, can somebody be mom today? <laughs> <laughs> can somebody be real estate investor today or business owner today or, yes. you, know, you know, daughter today? You know, when you have aging parents, it's like, wow, it's just another whole, you know. And when you keep that vision in front of you, like you keep your child in front of you and you can see the contribution you're making to their lives is how they're going to grow and prosper and go off into their lives because you're making that contribution. So you just get, you know, you just get back in the game and your feet on the ground and put your head back on your shoulder and just keep moving. It's important to keep moving. And what, how do you, and maybe that's, maybe that's, maybe I'm answering my own question before I even ask it. Maybe that's how you keep moving is by keeping that vision in front of you of what you're creating. You do. And it, it you know, it's, it's everywhere. I took salsa dance lessons and I can tell you, I would go sit in my car and cry because I was so bad at it. And I said, Oh no, I'm going to conquer this. I'm going to conquer this. And I'd go the next, you know, the next week I'd be practicing at home in my basement. <clears throat> Again, I sent my car and I'm cry. I'm humiliated. I'm stepping all over here. I am disco dev, right? This should have been easy for me. <laughs> no, disco dev was stepping all over her own feet. And what was so beautiful, Melissa, is because sometimes I forget about what it's like to be a beginner. You know, in the beginning part of anything, being a first-time mom, a real estate investor, business owner, learning how to salsa dance, that's where you're really taken to task. You know, you're really taken to task. And that's what a vision does. So the first nine months of anything is where you're learning a lot. And it's going to be overwhelming. And you're going to want to stop. And you're going to question yourself but you just keep going to the dance class. <laughs> I love that. That's a cool, a cool analogy. It's easy to see what you're yeah. talking about using that analogy. I love that. Okay. So I would love to have you share what, maybe tell us about your first, how you got into real estate about your first real estate deal. And then maybe we can talk about how, recommendations you would have for people who maybe want to get into real estate and want to have their own first deal. Okay. So, oh my God, this is a crazy, you know, my, me and my stories, Melissa. So I'll try to keep it short. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, because I was committed, right? When you're committed, you don't, you're unstoppable. I mean, I didn't have the money for my first deal and I thought, okay, so I don't have the 60, I was looking at buildings all the time in the MLS used to be a book that was three and a half inches thick and it was about 10 pounds and it came out every, I think it was every other week and you had to go through all these pages looking for deals. Well, I found, I found a deal. I think what it is is when you find the deal, you're more mo motivated to find the money because you have to, or you're going to lose the deal. So I found the deal and it was exactly what I wanted. It had, was, I could buy it 50 cents on the dollar. It was lost in some drug deal that was compensated and then it went into foreclosure and then it went up for sale. So I, I called around to my family and then I remembered 
a boss that I worked for said, if you, he was just an amazing human being. He owned, he owned 12 companies. If you ever get into something where you feel like you need support, I'm here for you. Give me a call. And I thought, oh God, he's going to think she's crazy. So I called him and I said, I want to borrow, I need to borrow $60,000 from you. <laughs> he's he's mm-hmm. the kid. He goes, he says, okay, kid. So he said, tell me about it. So I told him about the, it was a mixed use. No, nobody buys mixed use as their first investment. It was like the thing they tell you in all the classic books, don't buy a mixed okay. use. It's, you know, that's fine. So it was three apartments, two storefronts. Um, three of the apartments were occupied. One of the storefronts was occupied. So I told him about the deal. I told him the cash flow. I did all my homework on it. And he said, okay, I got to see it because, you know, he's handing me a check for 60000 which would be today probably like $200,000. You know, that was 31 years ago. It's a long time ago. So I'm standing on the street corner, literally, in this, I call it a CD neighborhood. It's not like a, a BA neighborhood. Like, I shouldn't be standing there with my blonde hair or my business suit. You know, that's probably not the spot to be standing. But I was standing there waiting for him. He drives up in a Cadillac with um, Don Perignon in the, <laughs> the trunk of the car. Mm-hmm. The car wants to have like a cocktail on the street to celebrate. And he hands me a check for $60,000. Wow. And he says, call my attorney. It's 15% interest and my jaw dropped. I thought, oh, my God, 15% interest. Is he crazy? He goes, yeah, and I want it in five years, which means for the listeners, it was amortized only five years. I didn't have a 15 or 30-year mortgage with him. It was only five years which made the, t- the numbers really tight, but I made it work. And I just want to say fast forward, I ended up owning that for 18 years and I sold it. It made me a little fortune every month and I sold it for a quarter million dollars on the 19th year that I owned it. Wow. That's like that vision you were talking about, seeing, being able to see like almost 20 years ahead. Yes. I'm, and it's how many of those do you need? I only, I mean, I didn't know I was going to appreciate that much. I mean, that's why I had such a big portfolio at the end of 15 years, because things appreciated a lot, a lot greater than I thought they would. You only really really need four buildings like that to hit a million dollars. That's amazing. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so how do you, what would you say to someone who, because honestly, I've had probably four or five people reach out to me lately. They either, I've had a conversation with them about real estate have started investing or they've maybe heard me mention it on the podcast and they reach out, but it's always, the question is always, how do I get started in real estate? So what would you, and it is a big, I feel like it is a big leap, you know, that first, that first purchase or that. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a big learning curve. All the things you got to research and know, like even when you mentioned earlier, you presented your investor, all the numbers, like even knowing what numbers you need to know and present it. It's just a lot. So what would you recommend to these people who are asking me, how do I get started in real estate? That's a great question. And I'm so passionate about this, Melissa. Oh my goodness. So many times people jump in without having the information they really need. And that's why I'm offering your listeners um, my, it's called the GPS foundational course for beginners, because in that course is literally this alchemy in there. If you really sit down and diligently go through and answer every question for yourself, you'll be so prepared to make your first investment because you'll get clear number one on your financial objective. And when people, they kind of like gloss over when I say that, like, what is a financial objective? I said, well, do you want to build a quarter million dollar or $2 million real estate portfolio? And then they say, well, I don't know. I said, well, make it up. What do you think? What, what inspires you? And they'll say $2 million. I'm like, okay. And as you go through it, you start realizing, oh, so now I've got to look at, you know, what state, what city, what neighborhood, um, how am I going to finance it? Do I want to do creative financing? What is creative financing? What are the different creative ways I can get into a piece of real estate? If I'm going to finance it and I don't have the resources, what are the resources I have to get in place before I make my first purchase? Do I have to talk to a family member? Do I have to go to the bank? Do I have to clean up my credit? Do I have to find, I call them a wealth partner, which would be somebody that would be coming up with a down payment and they would go into like a partnership with you. I know you and I went over that a few times when you were starting because you were considering that. So there's when you go through all those questions and also you know one of the questions that i ask is what's your purpose you know the purpose for me was to be free i really wanted to have no debt i wanted to do what i wanted to do when i wanted to do it 
no, I didn't retire, but I am absolutely doing what I want to do when I want to do it. I mean, I bounce out of bed. I mean, that this is the best way to live life. I can afford everything I want. I, I'm you know, the, the best foods, the best trainers, the best coaches, the best life experience. The, I just bought a condo in on Lido Beach, you know, cash for about a million bucks. So it's like, I did that. You know, the girl that had that decided to have a baby on her own that didn't go to college, like that's just, but that's what real estate afforded me. You know, it's really is, it's the, my business, I made really good money. And what I can tell you, if you're listening, if you're making good money in your business, don't get fooled because what happens is your lifestyle increases and it doesn't mean that you're saving that much more. So if you can discipline yourself to buy a piece of real estate, and put a plan together for yourself, you will end up with a, a pot of gold at the end of the story. And I love how you don't, I think it is, if, I think if someone has the desire to do it, I like what you're saying. It's, it's within the, the reach of everyone. It's not, you don't have to necessarily be making amazing money right now. You could be a single mom who's, you know, trying to put her business together and there's just a way for anyone that wants to, to create what they want. And you're going to hear people say that's not true. You know, if you, if you're listening to this and you say, wow, you get inspired to buy real estate and you, and you start looking into creative financing and you find out what owner financing is and you mention it to your husband or your mom, they're going to say, nobody does it anymore. It's not true. I do it. I would say every month something creative comes my way where somebody's in trouble and they call me and they say, are you that girl? And I'm like, yes, I am. And then I do, and I work, I work it out with them. It's sometimes I can pay cash and get them out quick. Sometimes I do something creative that gets them out of pain immediately. And I take over their mortgage payment and I can get into that property and um, stabilize it. And I do that with multi-units. I love flipping multi-units. I love owning multi-units. It's not just single family houses. Um, so I would say that, I mean, 50% of the inventory I owned in the beginning of my um, investing career, because I didn't have a lot of dispensable money because I was putting it back into my business, was creative financing. I would I would just, and, the, and I, the other thing I want your listeners to know is that agents are not going to be on your side when you say you want to do creative financing because they, you've got to almost like educate them. So they're able to have a conversation with the seller and especially if the seller is motivated and there's some situation going on. But I can't, I spent a lot of time with my agent who is, she's like a rock star now, but she was, Oh no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to ask that. That's embarrassing. That's humiliating, humiliating. You know, how could you embarrass yourself that way? I'm like, I'm not embarrassed about it. This person's in trouble. I can help them out. This is the best way for both of us to win. So those are some of the hurdles you have to overcome when you have a vision right? Like my mother said, you can't single, you, you can't have that baby by yourself. I'm like, yes, I can. You know, it's like, if you say you can, you can, you just do it. I love that. One other thing that I love that you bring to real estate that I, I feel like is unique is that you, I know you and I have talked about this before, how it, I feel like real estate investing is kind of um, male dominated from what I've, from what my experience has been. And I love, like, I was just talking to a friend the other, the other day, um, last week, she had called me to talk about real estate. She wants to get into real estate. And she was saying, she has this area where she wants to invest, but there's already invest an investor in that area who kind of invests all over. Like he's well known that that is where he invests. And she was saying, you know, I don't, I, I know I want to invest there, but I'm worried like he's probably already reached out to everyone. He's probably there's probably just no options there anymore. And it made me think of you because I know you talk about how oftentimes women can reach out to people in a way that will have them feel like, hey, I can help you. I can take care of you. Let me, let, let's work, let's work on this and we can both benefit from each other um, in this. And I'm not saying as beautifully as you can. No, you, you did say it beautifully. That's exactly women are nesters and we we are naturally caring because you know we're we're meant to have children so there's this it's built into us to really care about people it's we're not always driven by money we're driven by 
what can we do that's fair here so everybody wins when it comes to this? What really works when you do anything that's creative financing is that you have to, in your heart, know that you trust yourself. Because if you don't trust yourself and you're talking to, to somebody who is in trouble, maybe they have a quarter. This hap, so this happened. This woman's um, husband passed away. I actually met her when he was actually dying in the car. Or I didn't meet her. I'm sorry. My contractor met her and he called me. And so I connected with her. And I just talked to her during this whole very difficult time. Her husband was dying of cancer and she had three investment properties and she was spinning. She was scared. She was in her late 60s um, and she'd never dealt with that part of their life. So there was just this element of she trusted me. And, and I've seen other people do the same thing I do and they don't get the same results. It's, it's got to start with you. And what I say to my, what I say to potential um, and our sellers is that I call these mercy runs when I go and help people out. They're like a mercy run for me. I go to help them out. Like it may not be a deal for me, but I'll, I tell them that no matter what happens here, I'm going to either, I'm going to help you out. Or I'm going to find somebody to help you out so you can get this property sold. And I just did it. I just did it the other day. I'm talking to somebody on the phone and they want a top retail. And I said, I think you can get top retail. I really do. And I said, so you need to list it because the market's really hot right now. And I think you can get it sold really quickly for more money than I would be able to give you. And I want you to do that. And what's so interesting is they come back and say, I don't want to do that. You know, I want to work with you. And I'm like, well, you're going to put, you're going to leave $20,000 on the table and that's just not right. So here's, and I've got people that lined up that I can just pass that person along to. I love that. And I feel like, um, but yeah, that people people can feel that in the person that they're talking to if they if they have their best interest that it will really it'll serve both of you. It does. I mean, it this is it and has ended up being for me, Melissa. It's like it's, it's it's like my ministry. You know, it's this holy sacred experience of providing housing for people, really caring about neighborhoods that have been blighted, seeing if I can afford to turn that street or neighborhood around. You know, your friend that's looking in that area where there's a lot of competition, she might want to just get to know that person. You know, like I, I had a pocket like that in Rochester when I first started investing and there was four investors. They bought up everything in that market. And I, I appreciated what they were doing. I thought that's really cool what they're doing. They're really bringing back this neighborhood. And they knew about me and I was over in my own little pocket. Mm -hmm. There was a couple of holdout sellers in that area. They could not get them to budge. And this was like five years into it. And they called me up and they said, Deb, can mm -hmm. you come over and work your magic here? And I felt, I felt honored. You know, I really felt honored because they had done such a beautiful job turning this neighborhood around. And I was able to get those two properties on contract. I kept, I kept them and renovated them and then sold them on my own. And that's what they wanted. They wanted this neighborhood to completely come back and it, it has. These houses sold for like $20,000 and you can't touch them for a quarter million dollars today in Rochester. That's amazing. I know it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is there, so I wanted to ask one kind of different question. Is there anyone that you feel like maybe shouldn't invest in real estate as part of their long-term like retirement strategy? Yes. Um, I was thinking about this because you, you sent me a few questions ahead of time. I thought, what a brilliant question that is. So I'm going to answer it a couple different ways. Um, I don't feel it's healthy for someone if they're really emotionally sensitive and they take things personally. Because as a real estate investor, you're there to serve your tenant. You're there to, to, to set healthy boundaries and not for them to walk all over you. But when they call and their furnace is down, they're upset. Now, you can't jump into the pool with them. You know, they're drowning. You got to stay on the ledge and throw them a life ring. Like, I'll get somebody. They'll be there. You know, you. and if you're the kind of person that jumps into the pool, you're going to be upset a lot. I mean, you're going to be it's going to be stressful for you if you worry about money all the time, if you're not good inside of challenging situations. You could do it, but you're, it's not going to be as satisfying as it could be. I was like that, I would say, the first year I was in real estate. I took everything so personally. Like, 
I went in the middle of the night and I must have turned off the boiler or the heater. I thought, I thought, oh my God, I'm getting accused of doing things, but I really wasn't. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. They're just upset. And I was jumping in the pool with them. So then once I was able to detach myself, I'm like, okay, I'm very responsible. Like I'm a really responsible human being. So I was able to turn that around. Thank God, because I remember that year it was really stressful. I was, I was like afraid all the time. So I would say, if you're afraid of money and you have money, you know, um, scarcity things, I would say work on that first. You know, if you really want to be a real estate investor. And I think the people that are really perfect for the business, Melissa, is people that have had pets, children, husbands, aging parents. Like when you've really had a big commitment, businesses, um, because you've had it, you've had to get out of yourself. You've had to really give from yourself that's different than never having any kids or pets or, you know, they're, they're just like real estate investing is like having a child. Um, it's like having a pet. It could be like having a cat. If you get a property manager where, you know, you don't have to deal with it much, but occasionally you have to talk to your property manager because something's going on and he or she is managing it for you. So there's still a conversation to be had. Mm-hmm. You know that because I've had those conversations with you. You know, nobody expected COVID. It really turned the real estate business on its head. But again, you know, so many people, I've seen them jump in the pool of the COVID pool. You know, it's like, do what you can and then know that you can't do some things because it's not possible right now as, you know, an investor, you know, and be very careful about who you pick as tenants so that you take care of yourself because you want to be able to cover your mortgage and your expenses and all of that. So it's just a little bit about COVID. (laughs) Yeah, it has been an interesting year, but I know you've been in our brief conversation we've had about it. You know, you've talked about how, yeah, you've just been able to continue to not jump in the pool and just stay creating, holding your vision and fulfilling even during this like really challenging year. Absolutely. I, it was a record breaking year for, for my business in 2020 record breaking and all signs were looking like it wouldn't be. And all the real estate agents in New York were not allowed to show houses. I sold eight houses for over asking price to the first person that walked on every single house. And that was because we got really creative. Like she's like, okay, so mask up, glove up, you know, disinfect everything. I can't go there. I'll list it. And it was, I mean, her and I was sitting on the phone crying because the world was a scary place in New York. In New York, this is New York. <laughs> New York is different than a lot of the other places. You know, I just got back from Arizona and it's there. It's not as strict there as it is here. I think I, I felt like I was the only person in the world out on the road. The other thing I did that, a lot of people didn't do is my guys all work for themselves. I have three guys that work for themselves. I, by the grace of God, had bought um, four single family houses that were vacant. And I applied for an exception through the state of New York because my guys would not be exposed to any other workers and they could work independently. And I got it. So I got an exception. And then when, you know, the police were stopping them or the code was coming down on me. I'm like, here's my little piece of paper. You know, I have my exception to the rule. This is Deb's little, you know, flag of we can still go on. So it was so exciting. And I thought, what I thought, Melissa, was I've had COVID in my life in my own way. You know, I've had things that have turned my ship upside down. You know, I owned 11 retail stores inside the GM plants for 16 years. And I went through four major strikes and shutdowns that was COVID. You know, I had 12 people and for two months we had no work because my stores were closed down because they were inside the, the GM plants. And that was consistent. It was a consistent fear that was like always lurking over my business. And so I just took my 12 people and I said, okay, we're going to renovate a house. <laughs> we're in a clothing business. And I'm like, okay, so we're just going to switch our hats, get your paintbrushes out. We're going to go and, you know, and that's what we did to, to keep things floating. So that was COVID, you know, going through a divorce was COVID, you know, going, raising a child of my own was COVID. So um, this wasn't COVID. I was like, I was, I was a non-COVID. 
I was just breaking all the rules, I guess, up here in New York, and having a, having fun and really doing some cool things. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> okay, I have, I'm curious for myself, how often, what percentage of properties that you buy today do you find on the MLS? Wow, such a great question. Oh, Melissa, you have such great questions. Okay, so glad you asked this because I want your listeners to know that this, especially if they're anything like you, I would say that 90% of the properties that I that come to me do not come through the MLS. I'll sell a flip on an MLS, but what I really am about, and I know with social media and all the easy ways of the internet, um, I'm still a go out and meet people, shake hands, give your card out, talk to people. It's like Johnny Appleseed, you know, go out there and just keep saying, Hey, you know, hi, I'm Deb. Um, I'm looking, if you know anybody who's a distressed property, you know, I'm your girl, I'm a cash buyer. I wasn't always a cash buyer, but you know, somehow the cash, I can find it when I need it, you know, when it, when it came to that. So again, it's part of, part of the GPS program. The course is like getting really clear on the resources that you have and the resources that you believe in yourself. And you would be amazed at what happens when you give out 250 business cards. You know, I know it's old fashioned, but it works. It just recently, I've been doing some Facebook ads myself, and I have a web page or a Facebook page that I just put up that says "Deb sells a Deb buys houses fast." And I just did that. This is my first year doing that. And what I love about that is I'm finding a lot of property that way, um, not yeah, that are distressed as well. So that's more of a sophisticated way. But right now, it's so competitive. So the, this is the hottest market I've seen in 31 years. I mean. We've, we've right before it dumped, was it 2008 before it crashed? That was, I thought nothing would get hotter than that because things were escalating like on a monthly basis. It was so crazy. Things that are selling right now are prices that we've never seen for housing here. Never seen. Not in New York. New York is very conservative with their, not New York City, but upstate New York is, it's a great place to invest because it doesn't go way up and it doesn't go way down, but things have really jumped up here. So the best thing to do is find off-market um, properties. And that is just really talking to as many people as you can and letting them know that you're that girl. <laughs> that I can speak from experience. So Deb coached me in her ways. And I found this really cool fourplex in the area that I wanted, um, which is, it was my hometown, but there's this little downtown pocket that has really old cool houses that I just have always loved. And I, like she coached me to do, I like walked around the neighborhood, (laughs) took, um, like wrote down addresses of houses that I thought, you know, maybe they needed a little maintenance, maybe looked like they needed a little love, um, researched who owned those, made a few calls and ended up buying this amazing little fourplex in downtown Gilbert that was it felt it felt like it just like you kind of said earlier it felt like it just like fell into my lap almost but I think it's because obviously I was doing the work like I had been coaching with you and I had I was walking the streets calling the numbers but I did feel like wow how interesting that I had that I had, I don't know set myself up to receive something like that it was I don't know so I just totally believe in believe in what you're saying and all of it (laughs) because I've experienced firsthand like oh my gosh how how amazing like I never would have dreamed you know I kind of created a vision for what I wanted but I never would have dreamed that at the end of just one year that the things that had come to me would have would have you were amazing um you were amazing as a as a student of real estate investing and you were totally in action around it and that's what works is that Hold your vision, take those steps, keep, you've got you've to take the steps every day. Or, or if, if you're busy and you're working and you're raising children and have a family, do it as a family on Saturdays or, you know, block out time or in, include your families. Oh my God. Like that was what I did with my son is that, you know, I took him everywhere that I went for years. He doesn't want to have anything to do with real estate. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> No, he does. He does. He owns his own house now. Yay. Um, 
it works. It doesn't, the GPS, when you go through the GPS course, no matter what you put in that process, if it's a million dollar business, if it's moving, if it's getting into a relationship, getting out of a relationship, what it creates is your vision. What clarity, like what's the outcome that I want? That process I use to build, I know it works because I used it to build my first business. And that's why I went from zero to $2 million inside of five years because I was clear. I would make up names and put them on the board. Like this is, this is, a, this is the type of company I want to sell this year. This is what they're going to be manufacturing. Like for my, my, actually my core business, I did the same thing with real estate. I was the, the duplex queen. I had, I think I owned over 22 duplexes when I first started investing in real estate. And then I was the 10 unit queen. So yeah, it's your, it's your vision. And you were clear about that, Melissa. Oh my God, how many students would be getting their hair done? Because it's the only time they have an on a coaching call with me. Like that was just, that's how committed you were. Seriously, like that's the only time you had. And it's like, I thought that was magnificent because a lot of people would have said, you know, I can't do it because my my schedule is so jammed. I mean, you have a, you have a huge family and a big responsibility and you're up to big things, you and Chris in your life. And like, that's pretty, that's phenomenal. <laughs> I forgot about that. I was, I had put my headphones in and I was getting um, my hair done. <laughs> Because I'd found, I think that's when I had found that fourplex, and I was like, okay, I would love some coaching about how to approach this. I this guy told me he's interested in selling, but I would love some coaching about how to put the deal together and, and get it done. And you were, you totally helped me do that. So thank you again. I just want to say one more thing that your yeah. listeners might be interested in hearing is that you've got to see that person, the one you're going to be buying the property from. And what I think, Melissa, what you were able to do is one of the things I teach people is what is the, per the person that's out there sitting, suffering with a piece of property, that person is sometimes they've been a real estate investor for 25 years, kind of like your client, Melissa. They, I mean, they own the property for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it changes hands. Like the, the father might pass away because he's older. The son inherits it. He really doesn't want it that's a prime property to buy at a discount because it usually is deferred maintenance. Retiring investors are great sellers for your, um, your buyers or your, you know, your people that are listing on, because those are the ones that they're motivated and mm -hmm. they're more likely to do something creative because they don't owe any money on it. And if they sell it, they're going to be exposed to capital gains and they know the whole ins and outs of that. So for them to hold the mortgage for you for either, a short time could be something as short as three years. Maybe it will balloon in three years or maybe the whole 15 years is likely because they know that it's not bankable. Maybe it needs a roof. It might need a new septic system. So it's in their best interest to finance it for um, the buyer. I love that. Okay. I have two last questions that okay. <laughs> came up for me. Are you, okay. You mentioned a minute ago how the market is so hot right now. Yeah. And the last time you remember it being this way was in 2008, right before the crash. Do you feel like it can be it can be kind of nerve wracking, nerve wracking getting into real estate anyway? Let alone like right now when it kind of is, you know, if you're old enough to remember back in 2008, it can kind of feel reminiscent of of that. Would you be nervous at all for anyone getting into real estate right now, or would you advise against it? It might be per market. Well, there's some markets that are really hard to get into anyway. You know, like if you're in California or New York City, you know, the real estate there, although it could be different in New York City. Like right now could be the best deals ever because everybody's leaving the city because they're so sick of living in a tiny flat and being restricted by COVID. Um, I feel like upstate New York has become such a hot market because we had 300,000 families leave New York City and wanted to go and buy a house where they could have fresh air and you know, they could get wow. outside. New Jersey, you know, that people were leaving there in droves, the same reason. So I would just would be careful and creative. You know, I've right now I'm looking at six deals. They're all, you know, they all need work. They're all 50 cents on the dollar as far as less than that, actually probably 30 cents on the dollar as far as what they're worth. I'll, you know, I'll do the, the investment of my end of it to bring the values up. But yes, as far as if you're looking on the MLS or if you're looking to buy your first home, What's really interesting, though, is if you do the math, 
the interest rates are so low. This is like for somebody buying their first home that it's almost the same. I mean, it might be $30,000 more, but the payment's not going to be any more because the interest rates are so low. So it's a very interesting time in the world. What I've been hearing and what I've been seeing is that um, I think there's going to be an adjustment like in 2023. I don't think it's going to be, I know it's not going to be this year. I think we're going to start seeing it because what's going to happen is all these folks that have been riding on the wave of unemployment and some other ways to keep themselves afloat, that's going to come to an end. And that's when the forbearance is going to, you know, now they're going to have to start making their mortgage payments. So there's going to be some adjustment, but as an investor, investor, it's the best time. So let me tell you, like you just heard me say, I paid 15% interest on my first loan. Who mm -hmm. does that? And then, and then, and I, and I invested, my first year of investing was during the, the, the peak of the recession. So there was no mortgages really under nine, 11%. Like that was, that was the going um, interest rate for those loans. That's when I started investing. It was less expensive interest rate wise to do creative financing because they wanted to let, they, they would go for six to 7%. That, that was really a benefit. So you just have to keep, always keep your head on your shoulders and your heart and your chest, you know, especially for us gals, because we're emotional. Do not get emotional over a piece of real estate. Get emotional after you buy it. You know, get out the paint colors, do some of the things you want to do to the property so your tenants really enjoy living there. But do your numbers. Let your numbers lead you. I love that. And that reminds me too, I remember you telling me one time, correct me if I'm wrong, but what I remember you telling me is that even after, even today, after you make a real estate purchase, there's still a moment where you're like, <gasps> oh, always. <laughs> it's called buyer's remorse and it stops so many people from realizing their dreams to be a real estate investor and i can tell you that i have it every time every time i have it sometimes it's for a minute sometimes it it lasts for a day and i just and then i go back to my numbers like if i have buyer's remorse i just sit down with it and i say okay so what is going on here is this really something that you should be looking at Sometimes it is like I had buyer's re buyer's remorse. I hadn't bought the property yet, but the offer had been accepted. And I'm really big on you know my signature is my word. You know if I if I sign a contract, I'm buying the property. I in all the dealings I've done over the last 31 years, I've only walked away from three deals. And this one buyer's remorse feeling would not go away. And I asked to go through the property again, and I brought one of my guys with me. And he said the boiler's got a cracked, um, I don't know exactly what it's called in the boiler, but it was cracked. Mm. And, I, and I said, and he said, that's, can your budget afford a $6,000 investment? Because it's about what it's going to cost to replace this. And I was like, okay, so this is, this is what was gnawing at me. There was something there. Sometimes there's something there. And usually it's in the numbers. So go back and look at the numbers. If you need to go back and look at the property, if there's something like, I must have missed something. I feel like I missed something. Go back, take lots of pictures. Oh my goodness. When you're there, you're there for 10 minutes if you're lucky. You know, the agents get you in and out. Take a lot of pictures so you can go home and you sit with your camera and you look through the pictures so that you can remember. And especially if you're looking at a lot of properties in one day or two days, it be you your mind's gonna tell you, I'm gonna remember this, but let me tell you what, when you get home, you go, Oh my God, I forgot to look at the hot water tank and how old was that furnace? And oh, geez, was, wasn't that, that roof, wasn't that one that only looked like five years old? You're going to forget. So pictures, pictures are your saving grace. That's fantastic advice. And I remember when I bought the fourplex, I remember feeling like, oh my gosh, what, what have I done? And I just, I remembered like, okay, I think Deb said this is normal <laughs> that I feel this way. So I did, I went back to my numbers and I'm like, no, this was like, this pencils out like, this is a good, this is a good decision. But I like how you said that that sometimes can keep people from moving forward. Is that little feeling of hesitation sometimes can be interpreted as a stop when sometimes it's maybe just a look a little bit closer first. Yeah, I think it's, it's, I just think it's normal. It's normal. And, and agents will tell you that like, you're going to have buyer's remorse. And you're like, no, I'm not like, oh, yeah, you are. And you know, when I went to bought the condo that I just bought, oh my God, I had like a wave of buyer's remorse come over me. And I'm like, okay, 
what's the deal here? And actually what it was, it was in the numbers. I had been mm -hmm. overcharged by almost $5,000 for something that this lawyer that I don't typically work with in Florida had kind of slipped into the paperwork and like, wait a wow. minute, what's this? So anyway, I got that removed and I just, and it was interesting that that's what that, so intuition can be part of the buyer's remorse feeling. Just make sure you take care of yourself. Even if, gonna, even if you're gonna piss somebody off, excuse me, like even gonna piss somebody off, take care of yourself. Like an agent does not wanna take you through again, especially after the deal's been, been signed. It's like, if you really feel you need to go through it again, you can walk, you can walk away from a deal if you have the three day or five day um, attorney's approval. You can, the attorney can kill the deal for you if you really need to. But be, be really cautious because if you do that more than a couple of times, you're going to get a reputation for that. And you don't want that. You don't want that for yourself. And you don't want that for your, you know, your agent. You want to be the person that makes good and healthy decisions. And if you're not ready to put together an offer because you need to gather more information, don't. Even if they say there's four people coming in with an offer. And if you're not comfortable, there'll be another one right around the corner. Yeah. I love that. Don't feel like you need to rush, rush any deal. No. Okay. Would you have any, any last advice for our listeners? You know, I guess I'm a little um, maybe tainted or slanted in that direction, but I would say real estate investing was one of the best things that I ever did for myself. I truly would not have the independence and the freedom at this age to do everything and anything I could ever imagine. And ironically, I'm still doing what I was doing before. Um, for us gals, it's so much fun. It's fun. It's creative. You feel a deep satisfaction because you truly are providing a service to your community and also to other people's lives. And, it's, and, I, and I look at it as servitude and it's an honor to be um, a real estate investor that really cares about the people they serve. Beautiful. And how can, how can people find you? So people can find me um, at debcleveland.com. That's where my website is. I'm also on Facebook. It's Deb Cleveland um, Real Estate Advisor, if you want to look me up there. I'm also on YouTube. I post a YouTube video. I think I have about 50 videos up. Um, and also on my YouTube channel, you can click into that GPS course. But I think Melissa will also um, give you information on how to access that as well. Yes, I'll put that, that link in the show notes. Thank you so much for providing that. You're welcome. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Melissa. And I'm so proud of you. So absolutely proud of you. Thank you, Deb. And we'll see you guys next week. Hey there. Thanks for listening to today's episode. To show our appreciation, we want to offer you a free gift. We have an incredible online course you can get now by going to familybrand.com or by following the link in the show notes. And while you're there at familybrand.com, be sure to follow us on social media so that we can go on this journey together. Lastly, if this podcast has impacted you, we ask that you share it with another powerful family in your life and be sure to subscribe or follow so you never miss an episode. We will see you in the next episode.